I'm Megan. I'm Colin. And this is Pet Sitter Sitter Confessional. Confessional. An open and honest discussion about life as a pet sitter. Brought to you by Time to Pet and Pet Sitters International. As pet care professionals, one of our goals in business is to make sure that the dogs and their owners are achieving their best possible and that they are bonding and that they have good emotional and mental stimulation throughout their life. How do we actually do that, though? What does it look like to implement practices to make sure that that's possible? Today, we're really excited to have Jen Walmsley, owner of Fetch Club, on to talk about her journey into pet care and how she makes sure that her clients are getting exactly what they need. Let's get started. Hi, Colin. Thank you so much for having me. Um, Yes, hello. I am Jen. I am owner of a dog training and dog walking company called Fetch Club. I'm based in Bedford, which is in England. And my company operates pack walks on the weekdays. And then I do behavioral and some puppy training stuff around the edges of the the pack walks. Now, you only do weekday services. Is that something you started off doing or did you move to more five-a-day business? Yeah, I always started doing weekday stuff. Um, I actually don't get that many requests for weekend walks. Um, So I guess I'm kind of lucky in that way. Occasionally I do bits of training on the weekends, but I try really hard not to. Otherwise I will, I will never have a life. (laughs) (laughs) I don't really have one now, but I will never have a life if I weren't as well. So yeah, now you've been, you've been doing Fetch Club for, for coming on, on, on three years now. What what mm-hmm. kind of you started? What what changed three years ago for you? So um, I guess it was actually my own dog that led me down the path of working with dogs. So about um, three and a half years ago, just over, my partner convinced me that we should get a Belgian Malinois puppy. Um, <laughs> <laughs> which for those of you who don't know, uh, it's a high drive dog. It's typically suited to working jobs in like the military or the police um, and not very well suited to first time dog owners. Um, so to be honest, that was a sink or swim moment for me. Um, and I kind of went the way of really getting my teeth into it. Um, he was a lot to handle. I made loads of mistakes uh, and at a certain point, I found myself really obsessing with trying to understand him and dog behavior and how to help him. And then people kept saying to me, you should work with dogs, you should work with dogs. And I was like, no, that's crazy. And then eventually I started my my dog walking company. Um, I wanted to go into training eventually, but I recognized that I needed some hands-on experience. Um, and so just started out observing their body language. Um, and trying to learn from them. And then about a year and a half into the dog walking business, having started, I started doing the training as well. And it's, to be honest, it's just snowballed from there. Now, what kind of training services do you offer? So it's really all behavioral um, and then a bit of puppy stuff as well. Uh, I don't do anything specialized in terms of like gun dog training or bite work or anything like that. I don't know enough about that. So it's, hmm. it's really just like, um, do a lot of stuff with reactivity and anxious dogs and then the kind of basic obedience like walking nicely on a leash really cool etc we call it a lot of, of basics but really it's it's fundamentals to having yeah, a dog yeah. and being well integrated into a, a family or a household setting yeah so usually it's the leash walking and recall that i get 
most of my inquiries about, um, but I'm kind of building up a bit of a reputation at the moment for working with reactive talks. So I'm also getting a lot of inquiries about that as well. Now, you mentioned when you were working with your own dog that you made a lot of mistakes. And I feel like many (laughs) (laughs) many owners have that same feeling. And so when you're working with somebody, how do you approach that? How do you talk about the topic of making mistakes and and going easy on yourself? Sure. I mean, I find dog training to be a very emotional thing. Um, It's quite common that clients will cry um, because it's something that is so personal to them. And, you know, it's their pet. It's their family member. They care so much and they feel so much of their dog's behavior is is their kind of personal responsibility so that's kind of my approach is I try to connect with them on an emotional level um because I've been through a lot of what they're going through I can tap into their feelings so when I say something like you know I understand that when your dog is being reactive it can feel really embarrassing and they're like, oh, yeah, I feel so embarrassed, you know, because my dog's barking or pulling on the leash or whatever. Um, and it's like, I, it's not that I'm reading their minds. It's just that I know because I've been there. So it kind of helps me to connect with them in that way through having, you know, these, these experiences with my own dog because he was really, really reactive by about eight months old. He was a, a real mess. I think we often forget about that emotional side that clients are going through. I think we typically may focus on, oh, they love their dog, so they want it cared for. But I, I love how you, you talked about that people can feel embarrassed. They can feel angry about things. They, they start to feel self-conscious. They can doubt being a pet parent and, and whether they're doing something right or wrong. And mm-hmm. I do agree that it's really important to approach it with a level of humility, understanding, and, and gentleness when you're talking about these things because people do get they get hurt and they get you know concerned about what's going on and so to be able to talk with them about those those situations and those concerns that they have in a very you know con- calm manner i'm sure that this that just really helps people at least feel feel seen and heard yeah absolutely and i think ultimately that has an effect on how successful you are as a dog trainer because if your client doesn't feel like they can connect with you they're probably not going to do the homework <laughs> whereas if they're like oh she really gets me Mm. um then they're like you know they feel passionate about it and they feel understood in a situation where maybe a lot of the time they actually feel judged um so I think I think for me that's something that I've kind of tapped into and I guess it's something that I before I became a trainer was looking for in other trainers that I worked with uh, and maybe didn't didn't find so much was somebody who could just act like they understood what I was going through yeah yeah, it's a, we're, it's, we're a people business as much or if not more so than we are a dog business or a pet business. And I, we do lose sight of that through the, the day-to-day operations. But doing the kind of training that you're doing, I know that really puts it front and center to remember, like, okay, I'm training this person, really, uh, to help their dog. And I'm partnering with them to have them give the, the best outcome that they want. Absolutely. That's something that I talk about a lot on my social media is I'm not, I like people. I didn't get into working with dogs because um, I didn't like people. That's a bit of a thing that you hear a lot in, in, you know, the pet industry is I like dogs more than I like people. I hate that phrase. (laughs) I really hate that because the dogs actually don't pay you. Your clients do. 
And it's kind of disrespectful, really. When, when I see people put that on their social media, I'm like, ouch, <laughs> your clients have feelings too. You just told them all you don't like them. Um, so really for me, that was something major to tap into is, is treating people like they are relevant and like their feelings matter. Um, and it's not just about the dogs. Mm. Yeah. It, it, well, with the dogs, I know you also do, you do the training and then you, you know, you really are doing a lot of, of pack walks. So I'd love to know how you make the pack walks work and how those are structured. Yeah, sure. Um, so my business started with the pack walks. Um, in my opinion, it's the most financially viable way to run a dog walking business. Um, the way that my company operates is I will run two pack walks per day per member of staff that I have. Um, so I have two members of staff at the moment who do some pack walks for me in the week and on the days that they're working, they do two individual walks themselves. Um, I am insured to walk up to eight dogs per person, mm. which is a lot. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> that's really a lot. So I started out with insurance for six. And then um, as I felt that my capacity to handle a lot of dogs grew, I upped my insurance to eight. Um, generally, my staff will walk kind of maximum six. Um. Mm. And so me or one of my staff will pick up and drop off all the dogs in one of our vans, uh, which is fitted with high-end crates. Um, And the walks themselves, I guess, are very structured, which isn't really typical of most dog walkers in the UK. Um, But I think that's just my style because I've got such an interest in training. Uh, So we practice a lot of loose leash walking, impulse control, sit stays, recall, that kind of thing. I don't mind a little bit of play, but I think when you have a large pack of dogs, that can get really easily out of hand, Mm. (laughs) you know, with like eight off lead dogs and they're all like, let's play. Um, So I I put a cap on how silly they get. And instead I kind of reel them back in, put some focus back on some more productive behaviors. which is nice, actually, because then the, the clients actually quite quickly notice when their dog starts with pack walks. They notice a positive difference in the dog's behavior with them as well. When you say that it's not all that common for having a very structured where you're incorporating these training aspects during during your walks, what is more of the, um, the walking um, culture for dogs in, in the UK? I mean, it's generally pick all the dogs up go to a field somewhere, open the van. You may or may not bother with using leads at this point, leashes, sorry. Um, and, you know, see you, see you at the end of the hour. And it's just kind of like a free-for-all. Mm. Um, for me, it's just, I, I find that to be really unsafe, you know. Um, and also, I don't think it's that beneficial for the dog's behavior. So something that I see in a lot of training clients is dogs that are um, frustrated greeters. So they see another dog and they are really, really excited and they want to go and play with the dog, but they're on the leash. And so they have all this frustration and it's because the value of other dogs in their mind is so high that all they're seeing is playmate and they 
cannot regain focus on their owner. And that's come from somewhere. So usually that will have started in early puppyhood when they go to puppy playdates and things like that. Um, but also that can be reinforced with their dog walker. So if they're going out, you know, five days a week and they are playing with other dogs for an hour every day, then that is setting them up to believe other dogs are really, really, really fun. You get to play with all of them. Every time you see one, it's playtime. And then, you know, the poor owner tries to walk their dog on a leash and has a really hard time. <laughs> yeah, it really is looking at that that dog's lifestyle of like, there exists more to this dog than just the time that they're in front of me. And how am I equipping them to go back to their owner and be better than when they came to me? And really yeah. giving, really giving them those those skills and we see that i see that a lot too with dogs that come to to play for daycare or maybe they have a sibling at home where there's no they've never had structure or really learned how to regulate themselves and really be be a dog it, they've they've never had a cap or or a pushback on how their behavior and you really do we get calls from people who are like my dog's out of control and and you know having you kind of outline that you really do see this dog was never really set up for success in these situations. And so we've got to peel back a lot of this stuff to, to move forward. Yeah, absolutely. And I guess with my dog, it's probably the reason I started the business was I was like, how is anyone ever going to take care of this monster? <laughs> um, <laughs> I better do it. I better set up a business to do it because no one else is going to do it. Right. Um, but some of the thought process in my mind behind that was, I would hate the idea of my dog who was now highly trained going out with somebody else and them undoing all of my hard work because mm. they are, you know, having him play too much and he's lost focus on his handler and that kind of stuff. Um, so it'd be my kind of worst nightmare to do that to somebody else. I guess that's the idea behind it anyway. <laughs> Well, yeah, and I think I think many people, and I think that's a really good approach to to at least uh, communicate to to our clients about more than what the service is about it, getting out energy or just beyond socializing. Like, there's a lot of um, community aspect that goes into this dog whenever they're in these situations, and then you with your training background and the people that you have being able to provide those dogs with skills. Uh, do you find that clients immediately understand all of the benefits or is it kind of an overtime thing that they start to see these things? It depends on the client and how they found me. Mm. So sometimes I'll get um, people who don't really realize exactly what I am and they kind of just fall into my lap and then they go, wow, okay, this is, this is amazing. Um, occasionally it doesn't quite work for the client in the, um, I think they're just looking for that that runaround service, um, and so that's fine because there are you know there are plenty of people around me that offer that kind of a service, and they go elsewhere. Um, and then some people really specifically choose me because they like the structure, they like the idea of their dog learning to socialize uh, in a more polite way with other dogs. Um, so it's a bit of a mix, really. Have you heard of Time to Pet? Susan from The Pet Gal has this to say. Time to Pet has helped us grow exponentially. We believe the platform's features make us by far more professional than other companies who use conventional dashboards. They are the software gurus constantly developing and improving the platform based on user feedback. 
this decision was a good one. If you are looking for new pet sitting software, give Time to Pet a try. Listeners of our show save 50% off your first three months by visiting timetopet.com forward slash confessional. Yeah, and I, knowing that people are going to find what they're looking for eventually, but then on the business side, you know, we do have to um, kind of cultivate. We talk about culture a lot of times, and we have culture with uh-huh. ourselves or with our staff, but we also have culture that with with our with our clients that we have to work on. How how do you build and cultivate a clientele that that works with you and that actually um, sees the benefit that they're giving? I use a an app that has a reporting service. So after every walk, uh, they will get a report. And in that, I am really honest with my clients. So if their dog's recall is really bad that day, they're going to know about it. If their dog was excellent, I'm going to tell them about it. You know, I'm going to tell them about all the little wins and the times when it isn't so good. And over time, what's happened is I... Like you say, I've kind of cultivated this client base that are really grateful for that feedback. Um, so, you know, certain clients are go, okay, all right, I, I really want to work on the recall for a bit. So thank you for telling me. Um, and it's just something that they've kind of come to expect. And it's that, it's that kind of mutual respect there of they know that I'm going to be honest with them. Um, and then they appreciate the service in that way. And I think that anybody that doesn't, like I say, anybody that doesn't really want that in a dog walking service, kind of just go and find that elsewhere. And that's fine for me because I want a client base that can, can move with me and, and understand where I'm coming from when I say, Hey, your dog needs a bit of work on their loose, 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 I will never say it. Just I'll say, never say it. Just say you, you can. We 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 absolve you to say lead. You can do that. <laughs> okay, thank you. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> oh gee. Okay. All right. Loose lead walking. There, there we go. go. Yeah, and I, I. It's a reminder to. I think about that a lot. Of like, it really does start with me and how we operate our business, and then sticking to that, and then the clients that see that are going to stick around. The clients that want mm-hmm. something else are going to leave. And that's perfectly fine. It's okay when somebody leaves you because they're looking for something different because then that means you're running your business and you're not letting other people run it. And I love that thought of cultivating those people who use your services because you're investing back in them as you do with giving them reports and information and really partnering with them and allowing them to grow and allow their pups to grow along with you. Exactly. And, you know, people that don't really gel with you, when it feels like a struggle, they're not really supposed to be your client. And ultimately, all that will lead to is you fretting and worrying about, am I doing a good enough job for this person, when actually neither of you is really that happy. Mm. And that could be a space that somebody who desperately wants your service could be taking up. So for me, I guess it's, you know, I'm, I'm almost three years into my business now. Year one, I would have been like, no, give me all of them. But now <laughs> I'm very lucky that I can say, okay, if I lose a client because they're not quite the right fit, that's okay. Because I know that at some point that's what will be filled with a client who absolutely loves what I do. Um, and it's just having that faith enough to see that through, I guess. Yeah. Have you ever had to let a client go because of whether their dog wasn't? Um, you know, integrating into the pack that you're taking out there or because they had different expectations? Yes. <laughs> yes. 
so horrible. It's the worst. It's the worst thing about having a business is firing people. (laughs) (laughs) But it has to be done, you know, especially when you have a pack walk. Um, Sometimes it might jeopardize the safety of, you know, either the other dogs or of me. Um, And I can't, I can't have that. Like I, I can't risk, for example, being injured because then I can't work. (laughs) And if I can't work, then I can't pay the bills. So, um, it's it's really uncomfortable and in my experience they cry which is really <laughs> it's really inc- I prefer to do it to people's faces I don't love doing it over like a message or something like that yeah. um it's so uncomfortable but it's just part and parcel of having a business isn't it yeah, yeah. It is not fun at all. We've uh, had to let go of a few over the years, and it's mostly always been around around safety concerns. Uh, and and generally, uh, clients understand that. Uh, sometimes it's hard to, for them to convince it because it is kind of you know it's their kid, and it's the well you know Johnny just, Johnny's not like that whenever he's at home, and so. They, you know, every now and then you get a little bit of pushback because the, you're, you're telling them something that they either don't see or have experience with or, or might not fully comprehend or understand the extent to which it could be dangerous. But at the end of the day, it's, you know, these are the facts. These are my lines in the sand. And this is how we're going to move forward. And you've, it's, it's really, it is tough. It is hard because you know people, you know, they love their dogs. They generally, a lot of them love your service. But if the dog's not working out, you know, that's, that's something that you have, definitely have to stand up for. Right, and even sometimes it's a case of advocating for that dog. Mm. So where the client is going, I, I really want this service, and for whatever reason the dog isn't getting on with it, um, I have to kind of say, I think actually it's in the best interest of the dog. I don't think that this is suited to the dog. Um, I think they would be better suited to you know a solo walker or whatever, um, which is hard. But in some ways it's kind of it's kind of easier because that should always be the priority right it's the safety of the dogs yeah yeah we had somebody reach out to us recently who had a dog who had never been socialized who had their family had gone through a divorce so the entire world with this dog was completely uh blown up and was the dog was actually being like major reactive towards absolutely everybody it was being becoming a really behavioral concern for the dog and the family and they were like "Ooh, can you come over and take them on a walk and we were like no um we 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 need to you know work with you know one of these three trainers that we recommend in the area and then we'll can partner with you but we've got to do address this other stuff because a walk isn't really going to address your concerns and it's it's putting us at the danger and the dog's not going to enjoy it either right exactly and ultimately when you're walking that's not the time to be training like yeah i do training bits within the pack walks and i love that and the dogs enjoy it but this is not the time for this particular dog to have a training session yeah. <laughs> those yeah. two things don't really go together so you either need to say you know let's have a training session but right right now the pack walks aren't the solution or the you know the solo walks aren't the solution effectively it's just kind of a band-aid yeah yeah it's not, not a magic bullet and trying to explain that to people sometimes you know, a few people get it pretty quickly and other people are like, well, but you know, he'll get his energy out and then he'll be fine. And it's like, no, there's a, there's a lot, there's a lot more going on here than just a little bit of extra energy. 
Right, exactly. Okay, he'll be tired, but then tomorrow he'll do the same thing. The dog needs help. And we've talked a little bit about you know dogs and, and reasons that you've had to, to let them go. Um, I'd, I'd like to know your process for bringing a new dog, a new client, into an existing pack. How do you make that work and do those introductions and make sure they work well together? Yeah, okay. Um, that's such a great question. So I normally will start, well, it's kind of mandatory to start with a solo walk so that I can get to know the dog on a one-to-one basis, um, you know, without the owner there as well. Um, just sometimes, I guess, the, the owner can influence the dog's behavior also. Yeah. So, um, yeah, absolutely. (laughs) Yeah. Um, you know, they're sometimes crazy with the owner and actually really well behaved without them (laughs) or the other around who knows. Uh, but yeah, so I, you know, I take them on a solo walk. I have a chance to get to know them and on that walk, I'll test things like how well they're walking on a leash or how responsive they are to training bits, which will then eventually feed into their recall. Um, and if I think the dog isn't quite ready for the pack walks but they have potential um then i will insist on having a few more solo walks before they come into the packs um which to be honest from a business standpoint isn't the most financially viable thing to do but um i like to look at the pack walk clients as a bit of an investment like you put the time into them and they will be a long-term repeat customer um so that bit i don't rush really i do it at at the pace of the dog um, and then once I'm kind of happy with where they're at on the solo walks, I'll bring them into the pack. Um, they all will walk together on leash for a while. Um, and the new dog won't come off the leash until I'm confident with their recall. Mm. Um, so something that for me is a real giveaway with that is if they're showing far too much focus on the other dogs and won't refocus on me, um, I know that they kind of have to stay on the leash for longer. Um, because if they're not focusing on me when they're on leash, then they're definitely not going to focus on me when they're off. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, they are not coming back. Um, so, yeah, but to be honest, I guess it's, I'm at a point now where having, like when I started, I would have my partner come and we'd walk kind of parallel and gradually close that gap and then the dog would kind of merge into the pack like that. Mm. Whereas now... I set up expectations for every dog that comes in. And so the dogs who are already in the pack walks know the routine. They know that we start with loose leash. They know that we then do six days. They know that then they get their play and their recall and all those kind of bits. And so when you have a new dog come into that, it's like they all socially reference. And it's actually quite easy for them to fall in line with that. Yeah, it's a, I love seeing a new dog uh, assimilate into that group as quickly as they do. When we have when we do some you know small daycares or when we do some get-togethers, it's like these are the dogs who have been with us and we've worked with for a really long time. And the new dog comes in and you you know socially reference, looking to them for the cues, and then you know just a matter of moments or you know a couple t- a couple visits, they really do fall in line, and so. You know, viewing the 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 pack that the existing pack that you have as an investment for the long term really does pay out because it makes every new addition a, a lot easier to get on board and start that process with them. Absolutely, and funnily enough, my ex reactive dog uh, is my best assistant in all of that because he is such an amazing teaching dog. 
Mm. Um, he just he just gets it. And so when we have a new dog come into the pack, he'll he'll guide them. And if they start being too silly, he'll tell them off a little bit, but always in a way that's you know very fair and measured. Um, and it took some time for me to put some trust in him with that because obviously he was reactive at one point. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you know he speaks dog better than I can speak dog. It's amazing. <laughs> it's amazing to watch him. And they're all like, okay, that okay, we'll behave. We're gonna be good dogs today because he's here. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, we we have that with um with our own dog, uh Kobe. He he is just amazing to watch and see how he interacts and it's helped us learn a lot too of going, Oh, that's how he corrected that behavior. Or man, see how he let the dog do this but not this. So kind of seeing everybody's boundaries too work together, you really do get a sense for each individual dog's personality and kind of what's going to make a good group. Yeah, it's the very best way to learn about dogs is to watch a pack of them. So what are some of your big takeaways from now running pack walks now for coming up on on three years um, of, of dog behavior, dog language that you think more people need to know about? I think a lot of people are very scared of any kind of correction. So, you know, like a bit of a lip raise or a bit of a bark or something like that. Um, I think, I guess society could do with understanding that that actually is how dogs communicate and they don't really miss, <laughs> you know. So if, if they wanted to bite each other, if they wanted to destroy each other, they would. Yeah. Um, but that's just how they communicate you know the bark the snarl the growl that's their way of saying like back off you're too close or whatever that is and i think um i think society is far too fast to label those dogs as bad dogs when actually they're they're kind of excellent teaching dogs and and as long as they're you know fair and just about the reason for doing it in the first place um so i I think that and then i guess the other way is that um, there's so many dogs that I see that are way too much, you know, so over-friendly and um, lots of people will deem that dog as being a really good dog, as really good with other dogs. Mm. And it's like it's really bouncing up in all their faces and being told off left, right and center and not taking any warnings from any of the other dogs and just, you know, continuing to go. And um, I think body language-wise, Again, society could really do with learning that that's actually very, very rude in dog language. That is is very difficult to communicate to an owner because owners love when their dog is all over. A lot of our owners love when their dog is all over them and jumping around and super excited when they're there and trying to help them understand and go, that's that's not that's actually not dog language that's that's appropriate for other dogs. And that mm-hmm. can put that dog in serious risk if if he, if they try and do that to another dog who has much you know, broader boundaries, <laughs> let's, let's say, uh, mm-hmm. where that correction really needs to be over and severe. Um, and so there's a lot of, again, talking about preventative measures and guiding people to what it actually means to speak dog so that they can see what is and isn't appropriate. Yes, absolutely. That's something that I'm considering doing um, next year, which is um, I want to do like body language workshops and, you know, have people come in and really explain to them, show them videos, show them a video of what a dog correcting another dog looks like and explain that's not mean. That dog was slapping the wrists of the other dog and telling it that its behavior was not okay. And actually that dog then learned a really valuable lesson 
Whereas this dog that you think looks really fun and playful is being really rude and is very close to getting bitten. You know? Yeah, yeah. You want you want those little ones in the beginning so that the dog can learn again what is and what isn't appropriate. And and I definitely think that that is so needed in the general public because they don't see dog on dog interactions a lot. And it's quote unquote scary to see you know teeth or growling. Like people have this overreaction to to what should be done. And so I know that you know obviously it starts with us trying to again untrain what the world is telling us that we should believe about these kind of interactions, and then helping give that of knowledge and toolkit to our clients first yeah yeah and uh, you know most unfortunately i find the easiest way to get through to people about to be honest the other playful stuff is comparing it to to children i don't mm. love doing it yeah. but people just get it when it's their own species right, right. <laughs> you know like so if that child came in and was poking you in the eye repeatedly eventually you'd go i'm really fed up with you you know, yeah. and that's what's happening, you know, unfolding before us when this dog is, will not stop humping the older dog. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. I think, I think all the, the, what we just talked about here really gets at, you know, one, one of your missions is, I I've, you know, love this. It says um, to actively help dogs and owners achieve their ideals and to provide top quality mental and physical stimulation to dogs throughout Bedford. And the key words that I really saw right there was actively you're actively doing these things. So for you, what does actively look like when you're helping dogs and owners with their ideals? Sure. So I guess it's, it's all part and parcel. Sometimes I have the training clients then go into the pack walks. Sometimes I have the pack walk clients come into training. Mm. And so for me, it's like that whole service where I want to to actively be helping. So if I have a training client, for example, on a pack walk, and I know that there's something they've been working on, I'm going to be actively trying to help them with that in my time with them and then give them that feedback, um, like I said, through the reporting service, letting them know how it's going. Um, so I guess that's really, you know, where that comes from in terms of the actively part. And then, you know, with the ideal stuff, Again, it's about understanding the emotions of, of people. So what are their goals with their dog? Because that's very different to what my goals are, maybe. Um, so with my dog, is a very high-drive dog. He's working lines. And so he needs to be, in my view, highly, highly trained. Um, and I like to do a little bit of bite work with him and, and, you know, just really keep him sharp. And that's my ideal. But a lot of the people that I train have pet dogs and their picture of an ideal dog was very, very different than my picture. (laughs) They don't want a dog to bite stuff for fun. Um, (laughs) And so it's really, you know, it's really that, that I'm trying to help them achieve. It's like, what's, what's, you know, I often ask them, what are your goals? Where do you want this dog to be? How do you want this dog to live with you? And it's usually like, I want them to be relaxed in the house. I want them to come back when I call them. Um, So that's, that's the part in terms of ideals. Yeah, and actively, you know, what you're doing is you're you're paying attention. You are being proactive in many cases and knowing that this is just the service that you offer, right? It's not a, oh, you have to pay extra for me to pay attention to your dog and give you feedback. It's like, that's just what we do here at Vets Club. That's how we operate. And that kind of active role like in a dog's life, in an owner's life, taking an investment into what they're doing and, and a 
you have you have hope that they're going to improve over time and that they're going to have a better relationship and bond with their dog through your services. But that does take a little bit of individualized guiding and care. And as you keep you know bringing back up, is this communication part is crucial to helping mm-hmm. people see the progress or or lack of with with their pet. Yeah, absolutely. And um, last year I started doing more puppy training bits. Um, and something that I really, I mean, I really emphasize a lot of stuff in, in the puppy training stages because that's where I made a lot of the mistakes with my own personal dog. Um, and so that's the part where I'm saying, don't do this because, you know, six months down the line, you'll come back to me and you'll be spending a lot of money with me (laughs) saying, I need to fix this problem. And I go, well, I told you that in the first place, don't do it. Um, and so that's where I guess I'm trying to be proactive there. So like I said earlier in in our conversation, I think that where a lot of people set their dog up for a bit of a fall is that early socialization phase is putting too much value in other dogs and having them meet every dog at the park. Um, And that's something that, you know, people love when they have their first puppy. Oh, I want them to like all the dogs. So I'm going to go and let them play with all the dogs. And they don't see the risks at that moment, right? They don't see that either the puppy is about to get bitten and turn reactive or that they are, as I said, putting a loss of value in other dogs, which will eventually turn into leash reactivity or frustrated greeter syndrome or whatever. Um, So it's my job to kind of, (laughs) I view it as my job anyway, to kind of come in and go, don't do this, don't do this, don't do this. I'm just going to scare you all. Get the dog back. It's all right. It's fine. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> well, people really do have a hard time looking down the road. And I think one of the biggest things for us that we deal with uh, is it just is proper lead training and letting people know that, you know, it, it, if it's kind of funny right now that this little puppy is really pulling on the leash. Um, this dog is going to be 100 pounds eventually, and you're not going to have a socket in your in your shoulder because the dog's going to pull it out because it's going to be because you're not addressing this issue right now. And uh-huh. that starts to get people's attention where they're like, oh, you know, I, I didn't think about that, actually. <laughs> it's like, no, I know you didn't, but that's why I'm here. And this is this is what we're going to work on. <laughs> right, exactly. And, you know, in the, in the early stages, you have like that puppy brain, don't you? You can't really hear anything that anyone says to you because the puppy is distracting. <laughs> but at least, we, at least we said it, you know. <laughs> I did, um, I, did oh, I want to say three sets of puppy classes with my puppy. Hmm. I was really keen. <laughs> Um, but I definitely think that there were certain parts of really useful information missing from those. And I kind of wish someone had used a little bit of scare tactics with me to say, by the way, don't do this because you'll ruin your dog forever. Okay. Thank you. Bye. (laughs) Um, (laughs) so I guess that's what I'm trying to offer. That's different is, is the, Hey, I also train adult dogs with their behavior. And I know that when you do this with the puppy, that's what that looks like with an adult dog. Yeah, no, there is the uh, reality distortion field of a puppy is immense and it is powerful. And you're right. Trying to break through that for some people is, is Mm -hmm. difficult. And it does take some strong language, some direct language at times to try and steer people back to what actually needs to get done. Right. And, you know, and then you see them a couple of months later and they've ignored you. But, you know, it's, it's, it's again, it's just part of having this job. Yeah. <laughs> Some of them really take it on board and that's really rewarding. So, you know, peaks and troughs. 
Well, in your three years, you've experienced quite a lot of growth. You've you've hired, as you've mentioned, and recently saw that you you know, brought on another van to accommodate all the packs that you have in group walks that you have knowing. Was that growth ex- expected when you first started out? I mean, I, I definitely wanted it uh, in the long term, but it happened a lot faster than I was expecting. <laughs> um, the van I got about this time last year. So I've had that for a little while now. Um, and I hired for the first time just before I got that second van. So there was a bit of an uncomfortable stage where I didn't really have enough vehicles. Um, but I didn't also, I, I you know, I didn't want, a second van that wasn't being used because that's a huge outlay that doesn't make any sense. So I needed to kind of hire first and get the, then get the van. Um, yeah, it happened a lot faster. I think that was like my five year plan and it happened after one year. Um, but it's, to be honest, I find it really exciting. It's the most fun thing I've ever done. Like every time I add a new service or I think about new ways in which I can grow, I just get really excited. And, um, you know, I'm a very creative person, naturally. My background is a very creative background. So I just, I love all of that kind of creative stuff and thinking how I can, how I can present new things and how I can make it look and how I can add it to the website and all that stuff. (laughs) I I think very very often we forget how creative running a business and being an entrepreneur actually is. I think many people think of, Oh, the boring business stuff and the drudgery of the day and, you know, having to do taxes and keep receipts and having spreadsheets and going through hiring processes. But it's actually really creative about, as you touched on, like, okay, I can try new things. I can experiment with how my website looks. I can, you know, try and offer a service or pitch it differently. And we really do get to exercise a lot of creativity that I can, again, I don't think very many people think about. Oh, absolutely. I mean, you know, when you have a small business now, you do, you wear so many hats, Mm -hmm. you know, like I am my social media manager and my content creator and my, I mean, I did have a web designer do my website, but I quite often will go back and edit it um, fairly significantly. So web site, Editor, I'm going to go with editor, not designer. I don't want to be disrespectful. <laughs> um, you know, I write a lot of copy. I I do with my social media. I do very long, very boring captions, but my clients love them. <laughs> um, all of that training bits, and I I find that to be quite creative because I love writing. Yeah. Um, so I get to you know do a lot of that in that way, and I love a metaphor. So any kind of metaphor that I can possibly throw into an Instagram caption is going in there's so many there's so many different ways to be creative the the really boring stuff that i'm not very good at i tend to ship that one out like taxes (laughs) i have my lovely accountant who i couldn't survive without um and i just actually recently hired uh someone to help me out with my emails because they're a, a bit intense after a long day of being you know outside um so the you know the stuff that really Essentially, if you hate it, then delegate. Yeah. All right. Yeah, it's it's so true. I know for us, we uh, do blogging about different topics, and it was something that I really enjoyed writing. But for some reason, putting together a blog just became a really big drudgery for me, and I I I didn't look forward to it every single mm. week where we do it. 
And so when we first hired somebody, uh, part of the job was like, hey, you get to write blogs. And that first week where somebody did it and I didn't have to, I was like, okay, this was worth all of that headache. This is amazing. <laughs> like, I am so yes. happy about this. And it was an amazing blog and I still got to edit it and do some other stuff with it. But it was like, this is, now I can focus on this other stuff. And I, I love hearing that of going, this, and we wear hats and sometimes the hats don't quite fit. And we do have to wear them for at least a little bit, but then mm-hmm. trying to figure out who else can wear those hats and whether that's hiring help or whether that is. Um, you know, pushing it off to your tax person or bringing on uh, an employee, whatever that looks like for you to do so that you can actually be working on the, uh, the things that you want to be doing. Like, that's really where we need to find ourselves. Right. And it's terrifying, you know, handing off the responsibility of something that you really care about. Yeah. And you feel like you've gotten pretty good at yourself. Uh, like, you know, the first time hiring and then they go out and they do the job and they're with your clients. So you're like, Oh, this is so scary. <laughs> um, but that's part of growing a business. And if you want to grow a business, that's just this part of the experience and they might be awesome or they might not be very good. In which case you're going to have to deal with that. Yeah. Uh, but I think delegating is the only way is, is the only way to grow a business and to put your trust in people. Um, and once you do delegate the tasks, which you either don't really have time for, or you just find like it makes you kind of hate your business, then it frees you up to make your money back in other areas. Registration is now open for Focus 2022, PSI's one-day online summit for pet sitters and dog walkers taking place on March 9th. You'll have access to the live sessions on the day, plus the recordings after the event. Use promo code PSC5 at checkout to receive $5 off your registration. You can learn more and register at PetSit.com slash focus. Sessions will be led by Fear Freeze Mikkel Becker, Tori Mystic of Wear, Wag, Repeat, Mary Tan, owner of Whiskers Media, and 2022 Pet Sitter of the Year, Morgan Weber. Well, you, with the kind of growth that you've experienced and the, all of the things that you have been doing and all the creative outlets that you, you're investing in, how do you avoid uh, burnout and, and being exhausted with everything? I am so not the person to ask about this. I haven't figured it out. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. Just now, uh, so it's, it's Christmas time when we're recording this podcast. I don't know when it will come out. but um, I, for the first time in my business, have taken three weeks off, which is incredible. Um, and I, I just knew I had to do it because I, I don't take time off. And with the pandemic, I mean, what's the point in taking time off? It's not like I can go on holiday anywhere. Um, so <laughs> I just don't. And my clients know me as this person who is super hardworking, super reliable. I am always there. Um, and so actually when it came to me emailing one of them saying, right, I'm going to take the longest Christmas holiday. Um, they, you know, I got so many messages back, like, good for you. I'm so glad you're taking a break. Um, you know, so I, I probably should do that more. And I think when you're confident about it, like these are my dates, see you all in the new year. (laughs) (laughs) They're like, okay, cool. See you soon. And again, if it's a client who goes, well, I need you to work up until Christmas Eve, maybe they're not the client for you. Yeah. 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 And that is a, I think sometimes we may think, oh, it's a fairy tale. Like I I have to work during these times or I can't take this time off because what if I lose business or what if people leave or what if, or what if, or what if, what if. 
And I think looking, stay, taking a step back and going, yeah, but what if I burn out and it all, you know, and I, I lose everything because I'm not able to function? Like there's a big right. risk to not taking care of ourselves and having one client go, well, I needed you on the 24th. Like that's not a, that compared to the what could happen. Like that's not even a risk at all. That and as you said, okay, well, uh, that's fine. I will I will say goodbye to that client and find room for somebody who respects these boundaries that I'm trying to set for myself. Exactly, and it's possible these people will just fall into your lap at some point, and they will love what you do, and they will congratulate you for taking a long holiday instead of you know being a bit pushy on that. Um, yeah. You know, I think it was also, I had a, um, I had a consultation with, do you know Kristen Morrison? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. We love Kristen. Oh, she's the best. <laughs> she's really like that. She's like, don't work ever. Just have the business, but don't, you know, yeah. in like a nice inspirational way. Sure. Um, and I had a, I had a call with her and she was kind of really, I was, I was thinking about, you know, doing my first hire at the time. And she was saying, I was thinking like, I'm going to have, I'm going to hire somebody full time and they're going to run all the pack walks alongside me. And so we're going to be doing, you know, thousands of dogs <laughs> every week. <laughs> and then she was like, no, Jen, no, yeah. get them to cover your days and take a couple of days off. And I, it was, it blew my mind. Um, I, I tried it. It lasted not very long, but <laughs> I love the idea. Yeah. And at some point when I'm, less excited about you know growing the business and i want to do this service and i want to do this thing then you know there's the idea there that you can just hire and then take a you know take a day off take two days off step away and you know you do you and uh having done it it was it was great my clients were fine about it um it's definitely an option for the future yeah no that that is such a different way of looking at it because you do think higher you do think full-time or at least like very full part-time and knowing that um, I'm not hiring this person so I can triple my business, I'm hiring this person so I get time back to myself. Now, I still have to care yeah. about the person and make sure they're not burning out. And that's why, you know, we're going to tag team this or, you know, hire a second person to relieve their shifts and say, whatever. You can work that out. But that first step of going, I just need my time back. And I still love my business. I still love what I do. I just need a little bit more time. And that is a very freeing thought. Absolutely. And to, to step into that and go, okay, this is a first step of many that I'm going to take as I evolve and as my business change, that, that way I can focus on other things or I can be freer with my time to actually do the creative things that I want to be doing. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, when you're, when you're hiring, here's something I learned and I'd love to know your thoughts on this, Colin. I'm fairly new to hiring. I've had under 10 hires. Um, I think finding a full-timer is like trying to find a unicorn. Like it, it almost shouldn't exist because the reality is, is that when it's your business, you can work in it full-time and you can pretty much survive that. Yes, you get burnout eventually. Yeah. But when it's somebody else's business doing this job full-time, Oh, that's a, that's a lot. That is a lot to ask of somebody. No, I really, I agree. I absolutely agree. And I think that's why if, you know, if you're going to be a full-time, I know full-time hires are still pretty rare uh, in the pet care industry. They're growing in popularity, but I think you give them some diversity of work. So maybe they're not doing the pet care for 
eight hours a day, but they have some administrators who are doing some more cross-training things. And we absolutely uh-huh. agree of hiring just a few very, very part-time people and going, okay, yeah, we've got a, a staff of, of three or four people, but they're each working maybe 10, 15 hours a week to cover everything, or maybe even less than that. You know, if we have some people who go, you know, I want to work five hours a week because that's what I have available. That's great. I can fill that time, but that way at least I know that that person isn't going to be, you know, up at 5 a.m. and going to bed at 11 p.m. like we do sometimes. You know, whatever. Right, <laughs> whatever. exactly. <laughs> you can kind of. I, I think that way of doing it works so, so much better. Like at the moment, I have uh, one of my staff, Amelia, she does just Fridays and she has her own grooming business around the outside. And so she uses the, you know, she does walking to break up her week and do something a little bit different. That works great for her. Um, And then my other hire, Ali, she does walking and then she's just starting to do some training now as well. She's, she's loving it. She's loving doing the training. She is enjoying the pack walks in the same way that I, you know, when I started, I enjoyed them because I was learning. I mean, I still do really. They're my guilty pleasure. Um, but I was <laughs> learning so much, you know, I was really in at the deep end in terms of really observing that dog behavior. And I think that's what made me a much better trainer. Sure. Um, and so for her, she does three days for me and, you know, the diversity that she has in terms of what she's doing, I, I know that it's making the job a bit more bearable because the reality is, is just doing that one job can be really exhausting. Um, but particularly with, I think people really underestimate how hard it is to work with dogs. It's so draining. <laughs> it is it's so brilliant, but it's so draining. It is. It is. And that's the question we, you know, when we go through our hiring process of going, how do I, how do I help this person understand what exactly it is that we do? Cause it's not just, getting cuddles and kisses all the time. Like there are a lot of emotions that run when you're doing it. You're, you're, you're actively, your brain must be fully engaged from start to finish and in dealing with emotional clients or dealing with emotions with, with one of the pets. That's hard to get across. And, and I absolutely agree that having people who have other things going on in their lives, it, it helps them know that, okay, I, I have this outlet over here to be with dogs and invest in that. And then I can go do these other things. And it really does give them a lot of balance because that was, mm-hmm. that, that was what we were afraid of when we first started hiring was how am I going to find somebody who can devote, you know, 40 hours a week to this or, you know, be available 24 seven. The reality is that that doesn't exist, but you can find th- maybe two or three people that could make that work for you. And, and and now you start kind of piecing this together and it really becomes a lot more manageable to fill the time. Right, exactly. And at a certain point, you you start to get really lucky with your hires and they start being people who are a huge asset to the business. You know, it's not necessarily just a case of, okay, I'm going to fill this, I'm going to do this job and I'm going to fill this, uh, fill this work and get it done. It's like they bring something to the table and that's when you know you kind of struck gold but even then you know like with Ali who uh she's my three three day mm-hmm. lady um she's also a vet around the outside of that um and so she there's certain parts of you know working with me that she looks at as relief from her other job because her other job is, is quite full-on and very stressful and really quite emotional um, and so I think it's kind of nice for her just to be out with the dogs and, and just kind of enjoying, you know, the fun side of <laughs> hanging out with the dogs. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think that's key too with the, with the ad, with the interview process. 
to to highlight those aspects and kind of start cueing into what is this person? You know, this person applied. Why did they do that? And and what are they looking for? Can I meet that? Is this going to be a good fit for them? Will they find satisfaction in this? Not just am I filling hours and are they making enough pay? There's a lot that goes into that consideration. Right. And that's how you, you know, hold on to them. I'm learning because like I said, I've, I've hired a few now, but not that many. It's still very much the start of my hiring journey. And I've, I've never managed a business before. I've never hired people before. Um, and there's, you know, I think that's just, um, you learn a lot through doing that. You will inevitably make a few mistakes and make a few hiring mistakes and, um, maybe hire people who you, you maybe knew from the off actually weren't really the right field. They didn't really want to hang around for very long. And you probably could have seen that, but um, I mean, that's just part of it, right? You just have to <laughs> go through that journey and go, Oh God, Jen, why? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. You go through that and you go, huh, I'm learning a lot. It's a lot faster than I had hoped, but I'm learning a lot. <laughs> I'm learning a lot two years into this business. Oh God. Um, <laughs> Yeah, it's great though. It's so exciting. You know, it's hard, it's heartbreaking sometimes. <laughs> this is so exciting. Yeah, well, and, and viewing those as as an opportunity for growth and to do it better next time, I think that's ultimately like what you've got to do in those situations. It's like, am I am I? When Megan and I would think about that, it's like, okay, like, yeah, we're a little scared and nervous to hire. We know we need to. We know we want to to reach our business goal. So we we need to hire. We're going to learn a lot. We're going to make mistakes, but I have to embrace the mistakes because those mistakes are necessary for me to reach the goals. I don't know when those mistakes are going to happen, but I know they are. And that just has to be built into my calculation and be built into my decision making as I move forward with this. Mm-hmm. You sound like you've read the talent code. Have you read the talent code? I, I actually haven't. The talent oh, code. Oh, okay. my God. Oh, oh, it's man. an amazing book. You can also listen to it as an audio book in case oh, you're like okay. me and don't have the time. It's a book called The Talent Code by Daniel Coyle. Um, and it's all about essentially how our brains really do learn from our mistakes. Mm. And if we pay attention to our mistakes and we're in, you know, something called a, a deep learning state, then we will grow so much more and we can become really talented at something if we're actively paying attention to the mistakes rather than just brushing over them. Yeah. So yeah, absolutely. I try to look at every situation which didn't work out the way that I wanted it to as what can I take from this? What can I learn from this? Yeah, and that comes with experience because a lot of times we don't like to look at our mistakes because they're icky. They make us feel bad. We start questioning yeah. a lot of like, why am I doing this? Who am I to do this? But really, that's where the that's where the growth happens, right? If you're not making, and it's okay to make mistakes in, in safe situations and small scenarios so that you avoid them later. Kind of like we talked about earlier with the dogs correcting the initial behaviors so that they don't uh-huh. lead to something else. We have to do that in our own life. We have to correct ourselves and learn from those mistakes so that we can work our way up to, to bigger things. Right. Absolutely. And, you know, that goes into everything. You know, if I have a dog training session and I communicate something to a client in a way that they clearly didn't understand, I like to think about that session afterwards and think, how can I explain that better next time? Like, what did I, what did I say where they didn't understand me? Like what mistakes did I make? And it just, you know, when you're really paying attention to the mistakes, it's a little bit depressing, but you can, (laughs) You can use it as a way to become so, so, so much better. Or you can ignore all of your mistakes and just, you know, stay in the mediocre lane. 
Yeah, oh, that's, is that really harsh? That's really harsh, isn't it? Sorry. <laughs> hey, speak plainly and me. directly sometimes <laughs> to help get the point across. <laughs> I can't help it. I'm English. It's what we do. I know. It's it's, it's just built in. I'm t- <laughs> ah, oh, no. <laughs> no. No. I, that, I, I think that that is a really big, big takeaway is to know that we have like that's that's what we have to think through and we're not we have to know okay maybe this mistake feels bad maybe a motivating factor is i don't want to feel this way again what can then what can i do better so i never experience this that's where some of this growth can happen that's where we can get some of that motivation to actually look at it and go i never want this to happen again or experience this this letdown or feelings or emotions how can i make sure what processes can i put in place what do i need to learn um how do i restructure to make that never happen again. You know, honestly, I think some of the very best things that have happened in my business have come out of mistakes. Um, so for example, in the early months of having my business, um, I had a repeat client who, you know, is a very valued client, a long-term client. And um, I, they booked in an extra day that they don't normally book. And I forgot mm-hmm. because I didn't write it down correctly. It wasn't in my phone. I forgot and I didn't remember until the next day that I was supposed to walk the stop. And oh my they were so nice about it. They were so forgiving. And obviously, you know, I was so apologetic. But for me, I was like, this can never happen again. I need a better system. Mm-hmm. At which point I started looking at um, you know, all the various pet systems that are available in all the softwares in terms of scheduling and all that kind of stuff and I found one that worked really well for me and it turns out to be a huge asset to my business and my clients love it and it makes my whole life so much easier because everything is scheduled for me on there and everything is scheduled for my staff and it's really simple for me to see all of that it does my invoices it's just it's amazing and that was born out of (laughs) forgetting to walk a dog (laughs) you know yeah, yeah. That, that's it, taking that taking that frustration. Going again. Yeah, I can, this can't happen again. This is my business. I can't. This can't happen again. I feel bad about this. What do I need to implement? What do I need to get so that never happens again? And getting the app and that app, I'm sure, has helped facilitate and accommodate a lot of the the growth and expansion that you've had that maybe would have been delayed or prolonged with the growth, uh, you know, pains of growth had you not gotten it as when you did. At this point, I couldn't survive without it. I, I genuinely couldn't run my business without having some kind of software. Um, so I'm, I'm just so glad that I dove into that when I did. Um, and I'm really glad that my client forgave me. <laughs> they, they will, right? You will have those clients that, that, that love you, love the service, and they recognize, again, that it's, it's human, that mistakes will happen, and those are the clients, again, that, that you want. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, they're a great client and they've been with me a really long time. So I'm very grateful for them. Well, Jen, thank you so much for sharing uh, some of the you know mistakes that you've made, but also how you've learned <laughs> from them. Uh, I also really My appreciate pleasure. you diving into how you make your pack walks work and how we can better pay attention to dog behavior and dog language. But there's a lot going on. There is so much more that you're doing and that you have planned for the future. So. How can people get in touch with you, follow along, and start picking your brains with questions? Yes, of course. Um, so at Fetch Club Bedford on Instagram, um, Fetch Club on Facebook, and then www.fetchclub.net is my website. 
Um, probably best to contact me on Instagram because that's the one that I use the most. I think that's pretty much all the socials. There you it go. is. <laughs> there, there you go. I always feel like I forget one too. So I will uh, make sure that I have those links in the show. So listeners and on the website, so people can listen to those, uh, can click to those and start uh, getting connected with you. Jen, I, I have really, really appreciated this conversation. Thank you so much for taking time out of your day to do that. And um, so again, thank you so much. No, thank you so, so much for having me. Um, it's been really great talking to you. And um, it's a little bit weird that it's like basically the middle of the night now here. And I know there's the middle of the day there. But um, no, thank you so much. It's been really nice chatting with you. How are you equipping your clients to be the best pet parents possible? I think for us, one of the foundations of that is recognizing our limitations, whether that's lack of knowledge or experience or our desire to take on certain types of clients and then communicating that to the people who reach out to us, but not just leaving it there, having someone to refer them to and giving them other tools and resources that they need to implement. When we recognize that one of our goals is to make the pet parents as self-sufficient as possible and as knowledgeable as possible, we basically want to work ourselves out of a job so that they are fully knowledgeable about the pet that they have in their care. Understand that your clients have high emotions about certain things. They love their pets almost to a fault at times, and they may feel embarrassed when things go wrong, and they may feel self-conscious whenever their dog acts a certain way. We do need to be sensitive to that and recognize that they have emotional needs that need to be met as well when we're talking with them and interacting with them. We really want to thank today's sponsors, Pet Sitters International and Time to Pet for making today's show possible. And we really want to thank you for listening. We hope you're having a wonderful week and we'll be back again soon. Uh-huh.